0: Alexa Curtis here, and you're listening to my weekly podcast, This Is Life Unfiltered, where I interview entrepreneurs and fearless founders and people who truly inspire me to be fearless and get out of their comfort zone. So most of you guys know that I lived in New York a long time ago. Um, I guess that makes me sound so old. I'm 21, but I was living there when I was like... 17 and through living there I was interning and writing and meeting a bunch of different people. And one of those people I met was Ariel Patrick. She is now the SVP and Transaction Director at Edelman, which is probably one of the biggest firms out there for everything relating to PR. She's in LA for a few days and she took the time to come by the studio and she's going to take us all through all of the questions many of you guys asked me some of them that I don't even feel like I can properly answer about college and landing your dream job. So thank you so much for being
1: here. Thanks for having me. It's so fun to be in sunny LA. And um, just a funny tidbit, I remember the day that I met you. um, And I remember being so impressed with how adult and, you know, just career focused you were at such a young age. I, I truly remember we were standing on the corner outside of PJ Clark's across from my office and you were telling me all about your big dreams at the time you were interning at Guest of a Guest, the publication. Wow, you have such a good... Oh, I remember all of it. Wow. I just remember saying, oh gosh, I might work for this girl someday. I would have said the same thing about you
0: because at that time (laughs) time I would have been literally so confused. But you have, thank you for that, but you have absolutely blossomed. Now you are, I guess, like famous in the sense of like, what you do. And, uh, you know, it's so incredible that you've managed to completely be the youngest person in this industry and in this part of of what you're doing at the company that you're at. So take us back to the beginning. I know you went to Princeton, but growing up, did you have dreams to have such a big role like this?
1: Oh, gosh. Well, if you were to ask me when I was in kindergarten what I wanted to be, I used to say that I wanted to be president of the United States. Um, And my kindergarten teacher actually told my parents that she thought that was going to happen. So it's actually very funny. These days, I have no appetite or stomach for politics. (laughs) But um, I think that same energy sort of focused on making an impact. That's always something I wanted to do. Helping people, always something I wanted to do. And um, just having an influence on people positively um i'm living that dream now and i mean of course at some point i would love to um run a business meaning entirely you know sort of as a ceo or maybe start one but right now what i'm really enjoying is um being a senior leader on a global team um at the world's largest communications consulting firm i was hired at the age of 28 um at the SVP level which at the time was uh it made headlines now that i'm 30 i think i'm still in the same youngest bucket it's crazy that Sort of where it's interesting, people think about the communications and PR industry as a very female and young space just because they think, oh, influencers and media. But actually, I sit, especially in the area that I sit, which is um, financial um, and sort of more consulting, you'll see that it's predominantly male above the VP level. Um, the stats are that 75% of our industry is women, but only less than 15% of people in the senior ranks are women. So you're seeing a stagnation and, you know, once we get to VP, SVP, MD level, you're seeing people, you know, 50 plus, not really people in their thirties or twenties. Um, so I am very, very grateful to my boss who at the time saw my talent and brought me in, took a chance. I don't think he's sorry yet.
0: (laughs) (laughs) No, Um, otherwise you would have been fired.
1: Yeah, but no, it's interesting. I mean, you asked about sort of the connection between growing up and now. I don't always think about that connection, but, um, you know, I always idolized my parents. Um, They were incredibly and still are incredibly hardworking people. Um, My grandparents came to this country. They're the first generation that came here. So sort of the immigrant work hard mentality was always something that stuck with me. Um, So I've kind of always had that grit. And I think that's what's, what's helped me push boundaries in my career.
0: Well, I think something that's so noticeable and notable about you is the fact that you truly are the definition of hustle. Nowadays, I hear the word. It's like everyone's like hustle. And it's like people are just waking up at 4 p.m. and then they post an Instagram and they're like, today I hustled. And I'm like, you have literally (laughs) no clue what that even means. But you truly are the definition of that. So you said you got hired at Edelman when you were 28. Mm -hmm. So were you working another job before then?
1: Yes. So I was at one of our largest competitors um, for five and a half years. Literally some of the best times of my life. I really loved the last firm I was at. Um, And, you know, the only reason why I switched was because there was an incredible opportunity that um, was unmatched, but could have stayed at at my last firm forever. Um, And it was a great experience. I mean, I was there for five and a half years, moved up the ranks six times um, in those five and a half years, which took a lot of hard work, sleepless nights, um, advocating for myself, which I think a lot of people don't think about doing, And one of the things that's interesting is people always say, well, wow, you stayed at the same job for so long. That's not very millennial because millennials often switch jobs very quickly, you know, looking for the next best thing. And what I always say is that, you know, there's you can't really beat building deep, long relationships somewhere. It really helps you move up the ladder faster, actually. And people don't really think about that. Yes, you'll get incremental raises if you keep switching from job to job, but in the long term, you could stand to be more successful and make more money if you understand the human element, right? Having people that trusted me and knew me for so long meant that they were willing to take chances on me and push me up the pipeline and speak to my talents and sort of help me find ways to contribute. The last thing I'll add to that is, yes, I was at the same firm for five and a half years, but by no means did I have the same job, um, of course, different titles through the process, but also I switched groups and found opportunities that helped that challenged me along the way. So, you know, I started out in what we call corporate, which was really just general media relations work, learned that yes, media was cool, but I wanted to do more consulting stuff, found a way to, to you know, hustle my way into a crisis management job. And then from there, further specialized in financial issues, you know, focusing on murders and acquisitions and banks and things like that. So um I kind of made my career what I wanted it to be for that long period of time. So I think people, you know, if you're someone who is thinking about building a long career at one place, realize that um, through advocating for yourself and building a strong relationships. sorry, I'm stumbling my words here. I'm oh my exhausted. God, you talked,
0: you talked before today yeah, too.
1: I had three hours of sleep and I spoke in a panel this morning. So apologies. Bravo. Um, but what I was saying is, you know, uh, building trust with folks and, um, you know, advocating for yourself. You can make your job what you um, and have nine different lives in one experience.
0: So a lot of times people who are younger struggle with finding their purpose and they go to college and then they leave and they have no clue what to do. So did you feel like at any point you had no purpose, even when you were working at these admirable companies and had such a huge position? It's a
1: great question. First thing I'll say is that no one's ever done searching, whether it be soul searching or just externally searching for their purpose. I think that evolves. So I never want, um, anyone to think like you need to have anything figured out or know exactly what your purpose is. Even today, I'm learning new ways that I'm able to influence people and help them. Um, by no means did I ever imagine that I'd be someone in a position to be of service to folks from a career development perspective. I actually always thought being of service was more from a philanthropy perspective. That's how I viewed the world when I was a kid. So these things evolve. Um, I developed a passion for helping women move through the pipeline, but that didn't happen until I started watching and seeing how people were reacting to seeing me thrive. And then I realized, Oh, this is something that I'd like to do more. So I think it's a constant discovery process and you should never feel stumped or like you are behind if you don't know what your mission is. And I think that in 10 years I'll have a different mission, right? It may be that we've made a ton of progress in the, in the corporate world and, I can have a new purpose. Um, I hope that happens. I hope that I don't only have to be working on, or not only, but that I have to you know, keep working on pushing women through the pipeline. I hope that's no longer an issue. So um, I'd say be patient, it will come to you. Um, and one thing I'll also add is that a lot of times people who are young and early in their careers say, well, how am I making an impact on the world, right? If you're not in a position of leadership, it's hard to see how like, you working your nine to five Influences people. So I think it's really important to find a way to make that happen for yourself. Ever since I graduated college, I've always been a volunteer, philanthropic, volunteering, throwing events, raising money for causes I cared about. And so that was how I fed myself intellectually and spiritually outside of the office. Um, and the great thing is now that's translated to board service. I'm on several nonprofit boards, also an advisory board for a tech company. But I wouldn't have honed those skills if I hadn't been very entrepreneurial outside of the office when I was 22, 23, 24. So, um, don't think that your nine to five is can you know limits you. You can find ways to create avenues to make an impact any way you'd like well that's the expectation
0: too is that if you work a nine-to-five then you're stuck working that nine-to-five then people hate their jobs but you said it clearly right there you can do both and what you're doing by being on boards and stuff I mean I wouldn't consider that even a side hustle you're probably not making money off of it
1: no sometimes I mean, maybe not no I mean well for nonprofits, absolutely yeah. not but you know um I think that I what I get from it spiritually is you know there's no price way on more. that and um Interestingly, my nonprofit life does feed my career a lot because there are other board members who maybe could be potential clients or have referred me business in the past. So, you know, there's always connectivity. Um, and I think never un- never underestimate what you can contribute no matter how young you are. I started putting myself out there and just raising my hand to help um, without really any expertise when <laughs> I was 22. I knew that the things I knew were that I had a lot of friends – sort of was from New York and knew sort of how things worked and had a lot of connections and that I had a passion for event planning. And so I just started throwing parties to raise money for charities. And that turned into, of course, later on in life now, more strategic engagements with nonprofits where I'm, you know, on a governing body like a board and I'm raising money not only through events, but through strategic initiatives and also giving myself now that I can afford it. But that all started with just offering free help. I was, you know, doing the stuff in my free time without any pay or, um, much reward. So, but it felt good to know that I could help.
0: I want to back up a second to what did you study in college?
1: So ladies and gents, the, the thing that I love telling people is do not focus too much on your major. Um, I was the classics major. I studied ancient Greek and Latin. Oh my
0: gosh. I was not expecting that. (laughs)
1: Yeah. No one would guess that. Um, in fact, when our team is hiring, And when I've found that we've hired people successfully in the past, it's not always that they studied something business-related or communications-related. I think that the core skills you need to thrive in our industry are good research skills, incredible writing skills, um, and analysis, right? And all of those things actually were what I used in my academic career to write a thesis on ancient history and to translate ancient dead languages. Um, So it's funny because... I think um, those skills actually made me even better at what I do because, you know, I used to be able to find a needle in a haystack in like an ancient library, right? None of these pieces or or bodies of work are online. You have to go and find what the information you're looking for. And a lot of what we do today is a lot of research for clients, and I know how to dig that up. I can find a needle in a haystack. So um, there's that. Writing is a huge part of what we do, and I think that you'll find English majors um Complet majors. I'm so sorry.
0: Oh, it's okay. This is terrible. I was like, into I a swear to God, that's not my phone.
1: I'm so <laughs> sorry. Like,
0: oh Don't worry. Do you need to take it? Um, no. If you do, it's okay.
1: It's just this, I told him that I couldn't talk. Sorry, it's, it's okay. my client. That's um, okay. Cool. Recording podcast. <laughs> what a text. <laughs> um, are you? Did I mess this up? Do I have to re-answer it? No, we okay.
0: can edit. It. He can edit it. I don't past- even remember where did he, where did, she, where did he, where did, where did she end? So what I was, was talking about. Oh, okay, I remember. I was saying There's like.
1: Right. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um. So you know what's really important is to deconstruct the skills that are required to thrive in any industry and understand what major helps you get there. But it's better to do something that you're passionate about and intellectually curious about rather than focus on something business oriented. Mm-hmm. You know, it's very rare that people who studied public relations are the best in public relations. That's basically studying case studies or, you know, focusing, it's almost too myopic. I, I like people with imagination that, you know, really understand the humanities and you know how to analyze and and write quite well. And I think a lot of times you'll find that from English majors, comparative literature majors, or even a mathematics major is great at, you know, the analysis behind, um, you know, the financial work that we have to do. We have to read balance sheets and and analyze it company's financial position. So, um yeah, I would say when you're in college, don't stress too much about the major, just focus on internships that give you the job experience. And when you're picking a major, make sure it's something that you really love because if you go to a school like mine where I had to write a 200-page thesis, you better like what you're writing about.
0: Well, but what if you don't know what to to do? I mean, it seems like you went in at least you knew something, but I from now what I see from young people nowadays, a lot of them don't even know what to study. Like they don't even know what they're good at. Mm. So do you suggest taking a gap year? Like should you even go to college if you have no clue what to do?
1: I think college is one of the most incredible places to discover what you'd like to do, especially liberal arts education. I think if you go to a school that's a bit more trade or business focused, you'll have a harder time. But what was incredible about Princeton and, you know, there are even smaller colleges like Amherst, Williams or... Um, you know, schools like that, they don't pressure you to think about career. It's all about the academic piece. So I think it's actually not too dissimilar to if, say, you're a high school student and you know that English is your favorite subject, maybe you'll love studying English in college. Or maybe it's about deconstructing what parts of your academic life you like and what you don't like. So if you don't like maths and sciences, probably not good to go toward engineering. If you really love writing and, and foreign languages, maybe look at Complet. Um, comparative, comparative literature. So, um, and I actually say this about how to figure out what job you want too. A lot of people always say, well, I don't, I don't really know what I want to do. How do I figure it out? One, try everything. But then two, think about your academic life. What did you like to do all day? I loved to write. So I knew that finding a job where I got to write all day was best. And that's what I'm doing now, right? I'm not a journalist, but I'm doing something related. I think a lot of people focus a little too much on what looks good to their parents or on their resume or what makes the most money off the bat when they graduate. And, you know, the money will come if you like going to work and you're passionate it. I like that. So
0: And leaving school, if you leave and you have this great education and you spend so much money on it and then you leave and you can't get a job, you went right in and you had a job. Did you have any internships in between that period or No.
1: So I interned while I was in college, but I got an offer my senior year in the winter. So it was nice to be able to focus on writing my thesis and hanging out with my friends Um, senior year. I was lucky. There were a lot of students I knew who were not in that situation. And they did intern after college, which turned into jobs. So I think – and a lot of them are incredibly successful now. So I would say – Um, stay open to maybe you might have to be an intern after college. I think that's okay as long as you can turn it into a full-time gig. Um, But try your best while you're in college to do as many internships as possible, not only in the summer, but there are schools, especially if your campus is near a city, that let you do maybe an internship once a week. Um, You can build job experience during the semester. So think about those things and how they can help you job experience um so that you're not in a position where you're looking for a job after you've graduated.
0: And what if you can't necessarily afford to intern while being in school because a lot of people struggle with that too if they want to take a really badass internship but they can't afford to do that for free.
1: Yeah, that's a good point. I mean, I would actually say that based on the way laws have changed in especially in cities like New York, yeah. there aren't really many unpaid internships anymore. It's funny when I was a kid, uh, I remember my first internship was at a fashion magazine and we weren't paid anything. Oh, I remember I that too. Yeah. starving that summer. Um, but then in my industry, at least we pay our interns. So, yeah. um, listen, I think go for a paid internship <laughs> if you can't afford it. If, if what you really, really love is something that has an unpaid internship, maybe you have to hustle and work another job. That's what I, I always tell people. I hate to, for that to be the answer, but, um, you know, a couple less hours of sleep won't kill you.
0: Of course. You, I mean, you know, back in the day, even when I first met you, Things were so different because social media was not as big like guest of a guest in Refinery 29 was like you had to go on a blog and read something. And now social media has created this culture where people want things so instantly. And you're working at such a high position at this huge company. Are you seeing that? Or through any of maybe the interns who have interned for you, uh, or just in general, people who are younger than you working at the company in any position, do you feel like nowadays? people want things so quickly overnight or this younger generation?
1: I wouldn't even just blame social media. I would also blame what I call, and no, by the way, no shade to Forbes because I think they're an incredible publication and I've been featured in it and I love the content. But I do think the Forbes 30 Under 30 and other related rankings have, and even things like Mark Zuckerberg's story, right, have created some level of toxicity in our generation where people feel like failures if they haven't launch the next big unicorn business by the time they're 30. Um, you know, I think baby boomers had it right when they were focused on building long-term sort of careers with longevity and, and loyalty were all credos that they followed, right? Like there's no shame in staying at the same company for 25 years if you've really built a good life for yourself there. Um and so I think we've our generation has forgotten some of those values because by the way, I don't know if you read PitchBook, but it's one of my favorite um, VC slash private equity publications. They do um, something called the graveyard every year where they say basically here are some of the big companies that made headlines that no longer exist, right? So you can flame out really fast um, as as an entrepreneur and, um, you know, listen, I think we've been told to be impatient, right? If you don't get promoted as quickly as you want, like leave and start your own business. That's not exactly how this works. Does your capital structure make sense? Does the market even need what you're trying to offer it at this time? Does this business have legs? Um, I see a lot of people our age uh, fail to take those steps before they launch something and end up in a bit of a pickle. So, um, you know, there's no shame in working for the man. I still do. Um, And I've built such an incredible life for myself. And I hope, of course, that I'm privileged enough to um, start some things at some point. But, you know, don't be impatient. And also realize, I think it's also about humility. Like, I'm humble enough to know that I have a lot more to learn from people around me. Mm -hmm. I don't have it figured out. Every day I walk into the office, someone impresses me or a client teaches me something new. So I'm not done learning. So I, I feel like I'm still okay staying within a big company structure. And I think a lot of millennials, you know, they see these success stories, they see this person dropped out of college and started a $3 billion business. They see Elizabeth Holmes, you know, RIP to her career. Oh my God, I you know love I mean? her. She's so insane that it's like <laughs> fascinating. Yeah, they see that and they say, well, why can't I do yeah. that? Um, take a step back, stay chill, learn what you can learn. And when the time is right and you have really a good idea, bring it to the world.
0: So do you think that if you ever were wa- walking into your office and you were getting like bored or you felt like you weren't learning anything, would you just be like, I'm, I'm done? I'm going to start a company or, or would you stay
1: for a while? Uh, listen, I, I haven't reached that point. Um, but I do think if you think you're stagnating or plateauing, the answer isn't always starting your own business. It could just be a new role, a new industry, a new path. Um, there's nothing worse than starting a business when, like I said, the market doesn't need it at that time and when there, you know, there aren't legs. So the alternative, I think a lot of millennials, though, have this perception like, oh, I'm bored at my job, so I should be my own boss. That's not exactly the yeah. calculus. So um, maybe you just need to use other skills. Maybe, Or maybe you just need to go to a competitor where the people are more talented and they have more to teach you. Maybe it's less about... What you're doing and it's who you're working with. It could be any myriad of things. So I just encourage people to focus on longevity, stability, and and long-term growth because I do see a lot of people shortchange themselves and you know they could have stand, stood to be a lot more successful in the long term.
0: To change gears a bit and go a little bit more into technology, Edelman has a bunch of technology clients or is mm-hmm. trying, I think, to get more into that. And you also mentioned that you're on the board of a tech. Or a, a VC, a, a tech company. So,
1: Edelman um, has one of the largest tech practices in the world. It's it's a specialty of ours. I don't sit in that practice, but a lot of the deal work that I do is with tech companies. I sit on um, an advisory board for a very small seed stage um, tech company, yeah, but it's not a client of ours.
0: Okay. Do you think that your experience with technology now that you have gotten into it has kind of helped you in terms of maybe um, competition with other people who might work at the company now since you have more experience than somebody else who might, say, be trying to be in your position or have your title?
1: Um, I don't know. I mean, I probably not. I think I think the tech industry – has taught us a lot about um rapid growth and about what our like generation wants from a consumer perspective. And it actually teaches you a lot about human behavior and um sort of behavioral science, even, right? A lot of, of understanding why certain tech products do well and why they don't is understanding human beings, which I think is pretty cool. Um, but this business that I'm helping, you know, they're a business to business sort of more like very in the weeds, B2B, um, platform for the travel industry. So not super relevant, but listen, I've loved learning about tech. It's, it's changed so much even since I was in college. I remember, um, I didn't have email on my mobile phone when I was in college. You have a BlackBerry? Yeah, I had, Uh, uh, BBM was life. Life, (laughs) literal life. Uh, I I I actually miss my BlackBerry. I miss it too. (laughs) I have a
0: friend who has a BlackBerry and she won't get an iPhone. She has a BlackBerry and an Android. I think it's weird, but I'm also kind of like captivated by it because I want to be able to like do that. (laughs) Not have an iPhone. I mean, I'm not super, and I feel like I guess what I do is tech, but I still don't understand so many parts of tech. And I see all these things about like, Facebook is letting your, data like your data like out like i don't i don't know what do you think about that all of how like these huge companies are kind of controlling i even have a friend who works at a an like an uber based startup and she told me that the company is literally like taking people's information and that's like the part of the company
1: yeah well so data privacy it's use it, you know it's protection um, and in some cases misuse is something that comes up all the time for us, uh, for clients. You know, it's a reputational issue, especially if there's a breach, you know, having to communicate with your users or the world, right, and even in some cases regulators that there was a breach. That's a huge issue. Um, what I'm seeing more and more is that companies are going above and beyond and actually taking extra measures to protect consumer data beyond what is legally required just so that they don't get into trouble and also because people are really focused on it right now. So that's been a really interesting change I've seen. Um, so a lot of what we do actually, too, is scenario planning for clients in the case of a breach or in the case of some sort of um, issue where consumer debt is compromised. And that's always been really interesting work because – It's not just about um, sort of what your consumers or your users think of you. It's also about what the government thinks of you, right? There are regulatory bodies that look at this stuff, and it could impact how you do business in general if you have an infraction. Um, So I've I've actually recently been pretty interested in learning more about um, this this, uh, topic, and our crisis team does a lot of really great work in this space. In terms of what I personally think about it, listen – I have no idea if this helps, but I've always had private social media accounts. I'm sure they still have all the same information (laughs) and they can leak it anyway. But I've felt more comfortable with that. Just, you know, and I I always get this question from people like, well, you only get like a few hundred or sometimes even a hundred likes on a photo. Like, and I'm like, who cares? Yeah. Um, (laughs) I post things because I want to share them with my friends. Yeah. (laughs) Um, So, you know. Who, that I'd went on a tangent there, but, uh,
0: no, that's a huge point because people think you, even at the panel you spoke at earlier, um, and you spoke with somebody and she said, you know, they're, you're talking about taking away likes from social media and how that can affect people. And I mean, I think if you work a corporate job, you should even be more concerned of what your social media is online because I mean, I never really worked corporate, but I know that I've
1: probably put stuff out there that would not have gotten me a corporate job. Yep. Exactly. Um, I think a huge part of why I have private social is one, I have clients that I represent in the market. And so I would never want them to think that um, their brand is in any way associated with my personal life. Two, um, you know, I think that there's a lot of issues these days with younger people having self-esteem issues, depression, anxiety, all around social media and needing um, validation Mm -hmm. from others. Um, you know, I've <laughs> I've I've done a lot of self-work to learn to empower myself and not wait for others to empower me. So I think it would just be a reversal to focus too much on that kind of stuff. And and by the way, I think if Facebook does take away likes from Instagram, it would be an incredibly beautiful thing for our society. I genuinely believe that. Um, some of the stuff is very toxic for young girls, especially.
0: Did you ever find that you personally had any issues with social media? I mean, you didn't really grow up with it.
1: Well, it's funny. The first time I got a Facebook account, I would think I was in 10th grade or maybe 11th grade. Um, and yeah, it just had a different purpose. It was all about chatting. I feel like we were always just communicating. Yeah. Hey, are you going to this party tonight? Or, um, you know, happy birthday it was really earnest. It changed
0: so much. It was
1: actually a beautiful thing. Mm-hmm. Now it's look how much cooler my life is or, um, you know, look how fit I am or how rich I am or whatever else people would like to show. And yeah. behind the scenes, they're a bit depressed, I think.
0: You personally, separate from the company that you work with, which is pretty much like the leading firm in the world, how do you personally? take social media and just in general, like that term influencer or how much it's changed over the years and how now it's like people go viral overnight and people just want to be rich and famous for, for literally doing nothing. I mean, what is your kind of personal opinion on that? Like, is it, is it worth the like time and energy that like people are so obsessed with
1: this term? Um, I don't know. (laughs) Oh. <laughs> I don't want to get myself in trouble with any of my friends who are hashtag influencers because you're one of them. I, I I'm not an influencer. Okay. I, think, I, I think you're influential though, right? On the on, you're
0: influential, sure, but I think the term influencer is like categorized as like millions of
1: followers, which okay. I don't Different. have. So Fine. I don't. It's so, but I have other friends who sure. are like fashion bloggers and they get paid, you know, God knows how much just to post a mini skirt or like to say that they used a Dove lotion, but you can't even see the product. It's just a photo of like them in a bikini. I also want to mention um, that you
0: are more influential in my opinion than somebody <laughs> who has like a million followers.
1: Well, that's, it's actually very funny because I was talking to someone and they said, one of these days, someone's going to write a story about the most influential person they know that has zero, like almost no yeah. followers on Instagram. Like it's gonna be you. what I love is that to me, influence is being able to move pieces on a chessboard. What that means is If someone asks me, do you know someone who works at X company? It could be any of the millions of companies in the world. I will find a way to get them in touch with that person. Or if someone needs help with something and they need to get something done or raise money, like, I can get it done. To me, it's about having meaningful relationships with people who actually positively impact the world. And I'm really lucky to have such an incredible network. Do I need to show that by having, like, fake algorithms where basically people think that I have millions of people who are obsessed with me? No. Um... And so that kind of goes back to uh, what I feel about uh, social media. Mm-hmm. I think it's just incredibly toxic. And, you know, we're teaching our young girls that, you know, how they look is is where their worth sits. Um, that's a huge problem. Of course, I, you know, post photos when I'm wearing a cute outfit, but it's for my friends. Yeah. Um, in terms of, like, the influencer model, I think um, – it was actually interesting on the panel I was talking on this morning. I thought it was very interesting that what she was saying was millions of likes doesn't convert to sales. Mm-hmm. So like if you have somebody who, um, you know, posts about a purse just because her followers like it doesn't mean that they're going to buy the purse. It really just means that they like her. So it's all about relevance and authenticity. If there's a personal story behind why she likes this purse, or maybe it's in line with her typical personal style, her Followers will probably view it as something that they want to buy, but I think we're um, defining influence incorrectly. It's not just about how many people are looking at you, but what are you able to make them do? Can you move it to a sale? Can you inspire someone to take care of themselves? Can you inspire people to be kinder to each other, right? What? Are, how are your messages actually making an impact on people's lives? Um, so for me, I know that every day I'm making an impact on hundreds of, just by the mere fact that when I open my LinkedIn, I have, hundreds of messages from people asking to have coffee or just to take my time or even just to thank me for existing. To me, that's more impactful than, you know, looking hot at Burning Man and um, getting a million people to double click.
0: Do you think it's going in the right direction of going back to kind of the days of where the influence that you have is so much more beneficial? Not necessarily, I guess, for, say, like a brand because you're not trying to, like, promote, you mm. know, soap, but in terms of that that word, like what people think is influential now seems
1: very blurry to me yeah it's blurry it's um surface level it's um sometimes disingenuous honestly um I don't know what direction we're moving in at this at this stage but I do genuinely believe that if they remove the like function or people being able to see at least how many likes that you've gotten we're gonna see a shift I think people are gonna just post things that actually mean something to them instead of things that people will
0: think mean something to yeah. them yeah I get a lot of questions quite often from people who are aspiring entrepreneurs and want to start a company. And they have this idea and the first thing they do is they go to Instagram and they start a page and they get like a thousand followers and then they don't get any more. And then they're like, I can't make this company successful. This idea is going to fail uh, because they don't know how to get more fans or uh, purchases for whatever company they started from Instagram. So as somebody who's worked around big brands that didn't ever probably get known off of Instagram. Do you think as somebody who's starting a company, Instagram is like the platform you need to focus on to make or break your company?
1: No, of course not. I mean, there are so many businesses that exist that are business to business, not business to customer. Um, So it's, are you B2B? Are you B2C? Are you something else? Um, It really depends on what you're selling and why. Um, I actually have seen some brands try to have an Instagram presence and it's simply not making sense for them um, because a, maybe what they do is not super photogenic or appropriate really to put online. Or maybe it's because um, it feels forced in some way. Um, one thing that I have really loved seeing, I will say, um, well, first of all, no need to start on Instagram. That's not, that's beyond ridiculous. It doesn't need to be something that started on Instagram, but, One thing I have seen that's really incredible um, in the corporate world these days is the importance on the employees that work at a company and highlighting them on social media and showing that they love the brand. I've noticed that consumers are often more convinced that a brand is doing good if the employees that work there believe in it and are championing it. And so that's a place where I think Instagram is cool is when, you know, maybe they're posting photos of their work culture or highlighting people that are doing well at the company or showing ways that they come together as a community. Like that content's cool to me and authentic, but it doesn't, it only strengthens the business model, doesn't make the business model.
0: So you don't necessarily think the first thing you need to do to have a successful company is start an Instagram page? No. Okay. I just want to confirm that because yeah. that's what literally people think now. Wow. And they are willing to give up. But this is like the younger, like the 2016 to like 21-year-olds. So yes, no, not yes. You guys do not need to like, don't focus heavily on Instagram for I feel like the beginning of a company. You mentioned something earlier about um, kind of networking and how important it is to create that network for yourself. Do you have any tips for people out there who are maybe nervous about networking or don't know what the first step is? Because you have such a strong community of people around you and you are like very influential in especially that space. Um, So do you have any advice for...
1: Yeah. I keep repeating the word authenticity. It's really important that when you reach out to somebody, it's because you genuinely believe that you have a connection with them or could not only learn from them, but that you could add to their life. Mentorship and networking is a two-way street. I even hate the word networking. One of my favorite mentees is somebody who's taught me probably more than I've taught her, even though she probably thinks it's the reverse. Um, so when you make a new connection, maybe send articles that you think the person would be interested in. I've heard that from other people. Yeah. Yeah. Like be of service. Don't just siphon energy and knowledge from them. That's a sure way to, you know, build a relationship that, um, isn't sustainable. Um, other tips, uh, you know, listen, the random cold email, sometimes it works. Usually it does not be thoughtful, do your research before you send those. Um, I only respond to the ones that show that someone actually truly understands why we even should be connected or acknowledges that I have limited time. Um, what else? What if you're in a
0: small town, say the middle of like Oklahoma or Utah, like, and you don't know what to do?
1: Yeah, I think that there, you know, listen, you might have to rely on cold outreach, but um, like I said, do your research to make sure that the, the ask is authentic and that um, – you're bringing something to the table and don't be afraid to travel if you can afford it. I mean, I have a mentor who is the CEO of a large asset management firm in Chicago and I go see her every time she's, I mean, she comes to New York, but I know her schedule is so packed when she's having meetings. that I don't even dare ask for her time, but I'm going to be in Chicago for a wedding next month and I'm going to her office right to be in her space because it's easiest for her. Mm-hmm. Um so just understanding that power structure is also helpful.
0: It's so funny because many people listening might think like everyone would be wanting a year time. And the fact that you still mention the value of having a mentor just mm-hmm. shows how like authentic you are anyway.
1: Yeah. Oh listen, you're I always say you can never stop learning. Um, I have so much to learn. Um and there have been I, I think it's important for everyone to have what I call a board of advisors. Right, somebody, a group of people who advocate for you, know more than you, do things better than you. Um, I think it's important to identify where your weak spots are, what you don't know, or what you're not as great at, and then build a community around people who are great at it. That makes you a whole person.
0: I have one question left for you okay. and it's more of a personal one and so I, a lot of I know you're not an entrepreneur but you have those traits and kind of that passion and hustle if I say that most people do and Quite often, many people who are so successful or so powerful can't balance like a relationship and family (laughs) and all of this. And you are always somebody who is like, I cannot wait to see if you're ever in a relationship. And I know your social media is private. Obviously, we're friends on social media. (laughs) And you have such a cute boyfriend. And (laughs) I'm just fascinated. Like, how do you balance it? slash what was the one thing that maybe like maybe I don't know if you were in a like serious relationship before that um, or before this but is there one thing that is somebody in your position that you look for in a
1: partner? So answer is yes I've had tons of failed relationships before this one um, but I you know tentatively will say um, that I found my person. A big part of that is um, finding somebody who admires how you live your life. You never want um, to be with someone who maybe wouldn't understand if you have to put work first or wouldn't understand if your priorities are elsewhere just for a brief week. For example, I'm on the road for most of this month for work. And he understands that. He also owns his own business. And so, you know, he gets it. He internalizes how this is so important to me. And You know, it's so funny. I was uh, quoted in the Wall Street Journal last weekend, and like I saw that he's. It was fun, but he like sends me this text, and he's framed the article right, like someone who genuinely is proud of you and wants to be a co-pilot, not somebody who wants to control you, or, um, you know, focuses more on what you can bring to them. So, and listen, I'm his biggest cheerleader in his career too. So. Um, I think it's about finding your equal. I think people define that in the wrong way, though. Sometimes when they say equal, they think, oh, well, is this person as good looking as me or, you know, is their family rich or whatever other nonsense things they've put together? It's about what do you care about? What do you value? And do they value the same same things? And also, do they admire your values? Mm -hmm. So that's my answer he's going to be incredibly flattered and so embarrassed to know that he's mentioned in this and I can't wait. To hear <laughs> I was him. so
0: excited because <laughs> I personally want to know. And like, I'm just so curious, like how you, um, even balance, like having so much responsibility and being in a relationship because it's a really difficult thing to do.
1: It's hard. It's a lot of, um, it's a lot of making sacrifices, but it's worth it. Um, and you know, we're lucky we're in the age of mobile phones. So yeah, <laughs> even if you're apart, there's a way to make it happen.
0: Well, thank you so much for that honest answer. It was great. Um, <laughs> and where can everyone find more about you and find you on social media or LinkedIn? I know because you're yeah. private.
1: So Instagram is private, but um if you don't look like a serial killer, I'll accept um, AK Patrick, number one, Um, or LinkedIn's a really great way. I, I post about what i up to from a career perspective, that's the only quote unquote public platform. So um, I look forward to a message from you if it's appropriate. <laughs> <laughs>
0: well, you guys, that's it for this episode. Thank you so much again for taking the time because I know you're so busy oh, um, and make sure to follow uh, this is Life Unfiltered on social media at at TILU podcast as well as my personal social media at, at Alexa underscore Curtis and you can always head to lifeunfiltered.com uh, once this episode airs and goes up there will be a blog post on a recap of the episode as well um, and I can also post where you guys can follow Ariel as well as any other guest that's been on the podcast there so thank you so much for your support we're almost at episode 100 at Wow. And I know, yay! <laughs> and I'm excited um, for the next chapter. So, see you guys next week.